uh, Emily Schickbrer of the British Antarctic Survey. Thank you, Bob. Well, um, thank you. Uh, I'm going to talk mostly um, today uh, about the findings of a report that actually Nick and Rosie, who's sitting in the middle here, um, co-authored with me, that was um, published just a month or so ago. And most of the examples that I'm going to be using do come from the area of climate science. By the end of today, you might all get very bored of hearing about climate science, but I hope that the conclusions would be um, useful for whatever area of risk and uncertainty um, you might be wanting to communicate. What we did in this project was a combination of a UK national opinion poll and a series of focus groups which were conducted last year. And I'm going to tell you about some of the results of, of both of those. So in general, um, we're reasonably good at judging um, risks that we have repeat and direct experience of, but we tend to be poor at um, judging other risks and, and, and have a bit of a tendency towards optimism bias in the sense that we tend to think that risks affect other people and not, and not us. And um, when we look particularly at um, climate risk, Nick has mentioned some of these aspects already, people tend to look at climate risks um, through some sort of generic model of pollution. And so when we did our national opinion poll and asked people what they thought the causes of climate change, then the number one cause was road pollution, um, was, the, was what people came, came up with. And I think it's um, partly because they conflate all environmental issues um, together. Um, if they've got direct experience of weather, in particular if they've got experience of flooding um, in the UK, which now unfortunately many people have, um, then that's another way in which they um, start to interpret some of that climate risk. And as Nick mentioned, people tend to believe that climate change is something that affects people distant from them, either distance in space, um, in other countries, in other parts of the world, or distant in time, people in the future. And that affects the way in which they perceive that risk. So in our opinion poll, we try to judge the way in which people perceived the risk of um, climate change by asking this question, how concerned are you about climate change, sometimes known as, known as global warming? This is a question that's been asked many times previously, and um, Nick indicated it's that the response varies very quite considerably over time. So this is just showing you the distribution of answers between 2005 at the top and 2011 when we asked um, the same question. And you can see that there's a significant difference, particularly in those red values, which is where people say they are fairly or very concerned about climate change. In um, 2005, 84% of people said they were fairly or very concerned about climate change, and that dropped down to 63% in 2000. Um, and 11. And there's, as Nick mentioned, various um, possible reasons for this fluctuation in, over time. And I've just listed um, two possible ones. And one is um, a theory that people have, in a sense, a finite pot of worry that they can attribute to different causes. Um, so more recently, when, for example, there's been the global economic crisis, people might be more worried about that uh, and therefore consequently have less in their pot to worry about um, other, cause, other causes. And there's also a sense in which people suffer from issue fatigue. 
So another question we asked in the opinion poll was to do with whether the risk is exaggerated. And this is again a question that has been asked in the past. So we asked, has the um, seriousness of climate change been exaggerated? And again, there's been a significant shift over time. So you can see the 2002 values at the top and the 2011 values um, at the bottom. So um, in particular, those who tend to agree and strongly agree with that, um, that the seriousness has been exaggerated. In 2002, it was just a quarter of the population. Um, by 2011, it was nudging up to be um, almost half the population, so quite a significant change over time. And, and again, those same issues about having a finite um, pot of worry to attribute to different causes and issues fatigue might both um, be partly contributing to those shifts over time. So if we then turn to um, how do we go about communicating climate risk, there have been some famously bad um, examples over, over the years. This was um, uh, the Department of Energy and Climate Change's effort to try and communicate climate risk of a few years ago, which was um, up, uh, the, uh, there was a complaint upheld by the Advertising Standards Agency which said it should be being phrased more tentatively because they um, put in their um, small print that uh, this, this statement, extreme weather events such as storms, floods and heat waves will become more frequent and intense um, over time. So turning a statement that was scientifically uncertain into um, a definite statement. And then there was this famous 10-10 film that some of you might have seen with exploding children um, to try and demonstrate uh, the risks of climate change. But there's a real challenge um, in terms of communicating um, uncertainty associated with climate change. And um, uh, in terms of the science, there are various areas in which um, uncertainty, scientific uncertainty, um, uh, enters into future projections. Um, computer models um, have to estimate the effects of, for example, clouds, and that introduces uncertainties into the future projections. Um, the possibilities of tipping points in the, in the system, um, which in uh, Nick's diagram that he had of, of risk, uncertainty, ambiguity might fit down into the ignorance part. These are the sort of um, the bits that we, that we know might happen, but we don't know how likely they, they are to happen. And, um, of course, we don't know exactly how, as a, as a global world, we're going to develop in the future, and so um, emissions are, are not well um, known into the future. So there's various ways in which uncertainty enters into um, climate science. I'm just going to run through a few examples that we used in the focus groups, where... Um, we took newspaper articles and showed them to groups of people and asked them to discuss um, those newspaper articles. And a number of the newspaper articles, it's unfortunate that Miles Allen has had to skip out to give it a lecture because these are um, based on a study that he was involved in, which was looking at whether or not the floods that we had in autumn 2000 um, may be the chances of having those floods um, whether or not that had changed as a result of the climate change that we've had to date. So this was how the Daily Telegraph covered that story, floods caused by climate change, and then um, went into uh, further description. 
This is one of the participants in our focus group who's talking about this particular um, article. And you can see what she says. So there, there's an example where the, of the ones that David gave many of before, where a sub-editor has come along and put on um, a headline that doesn't actually correspond to what the article says itself. Um, but if you thought that you could only blame the sub-editors, um, then, uh, then you find that that's not quite true. It, again, another example where the Daily Mail did a, a better job than the Telegraph, actually, of getting their headline was really quite accurate. Devastating floods are now twice as likely thanks to climate change, scientists claim, which was not a bad description of what the article actually said. Um, but, but actually, um, this was received no better by the focus group participants. So this is what a quote from one of the focus group participants it says. Um, it was in one line saying, humans' influence on climate change was doubling the risk, and the next minute it was saying they weren't sure how much humans had influenced it. Um, and that was as a result of then the, the quote from Miles Allen um, within um, the article itself, which said, we can't say with absolute certainty exactly how big the influence of humans is, but it's a reasonably substantial contribution to flood risk in the UK. And um, the, uh, there was even, what Miles had, had um, within these articles, tried to use the expression loading the dice to try and better understand the change in odds of, um, of flooding as a result of climate change. And that expression was universally misunderstood and found confusing um, by the focus group participants. And this was my favourite quote from all the focus groups. The one person who said, got completely confused by this loading the dice expression and said, interesting, it said, they loaded the dice to get the results they wanted where the results don't tell them it's actually happened. So they've tried to cheat, but they can't. <laughs> so he thought that loading the dice was referred to the, the way in which they'd done the science itself rather than the change of the odds. So you do have to be very careful about um, how you um, choose your um, expressions and phrases in articles. What we found generally was that words like could, may, and suggest were generally interpreted um, by, by people in the focus groups to, be, to imply complete ignorance. Um, and so you would get statements like, it's not conclusive, the scientists are sitting on the fence, it's lacking facts, it feels like a waste of time, we'll never get back if you're reading hypotheses all day long. And this is another um, lady from one of the focus groups who's discussed. So it was very clear that that was one, I mean, this was a really commonly expressed um, attitude in the focus groups. People wanted definite information and facts, and they really didn't like the uncertainty. And I think it's a real challenge um, in terms of communication um, to get around those issues. Um, and this is something that, uh, that Nick just mentioned, um, that uh, the interpretation of words like likely and very likely is very variable amongst the population. So um, if, uh, if you were asked to say, you know, to translate the expression very likely into um, it's at least X percent, um, you know, what, what, numbers, what number would you choose? Um, and I asked my husband this last night and he said 80%. But, but as you, if you were paying attention to uh, Nick's slide a minute ago, then the IPCC um, uses very likely to be greater than 90%. And as Nick pointed out, people systematically 
um, underestimate um, compared to that IPCC value of 90%, what very likely means. And the study that Nick showed, uh, one of the conclusions of that study said this, um, consider the statement from, from the IPCC that average northern hemisphere temperatures during the second half of the 20th century were very likely higher than any other 50-year period in the last 500 years. Um, and they go on to say, it's hard to believe that the authors had in mind um, probabilities lower than 70%, and yet this is how 25% of our subjects interpreted the term very likely. So you have to be very careful um, in using uh, these terms because they are um, interpreted differently by different people. Another newspaper article that we showed um, our focus groups was this one. Um, it was based on a study in the state of the climate in 2010. It picked out some of the major weather events around the world in 2010 and then talked about whether or not um, they were more or less likely as a result of um, climate change to date. Um, in it, it said um, this expression that I've highlighted here, experts say they cannot prove global warming is to blame, but the finger of suspicion points that way. Another member of our focus group talking about this, this particular article. So you'll see that's the second time that somebody said that they wouldn't have read the whole article because they got to the stage where they found it was confusing they, and they, they just weren't interested in it any longer. There's a real challenge in terms of how you communicate um, uncertainty. Um, there's also, of course, an issue in terms of balance when you're trying to report some of these issues. Um, we asked in our national opinion poll this question, do most scientists agree that humans are causing climate change? Um, 2011, about 60% of, of respondents agreed with that um, statement. There's another focus group participant talking about People generally found it very confusing when they, were, when they got several different opinions in, in the articles. They were left, as, as this participant said, they were left unsure what they were supposed to conclude. Um, and again, it was something that they found very off-putting in terms of um, reading it. Um, both uh, David and Nick mentioned um, the challenges of framing. You know, would you prefer to play a game which had a 90% chance of losing or one where you had a 10% chance of winning? Um, and um, this is a, another study that's looked at that in a particular context of um, climate change. These are statements that are essentially identical. Um, one at the top given um, a more negative frame, the 80% chance if we continue emitting carbon dioxide as now, um, a drop, abrupt and severe changes to weather systems will occur. Um, the more positive frame um, it's 20% likely if we consider uh, con continue um, emitting CO2 as now that these changes will not occur. And the bottom two statements are identical except they've been given more ranges of uncertainty with the central value on those percentages being the same. And it was found um, when these statements were put in front of people that the way in which they um, interpreted these statements and then said how they would, whether or not they would be prepared to act to change their behaviour um, uh, as a result of hearing these statements um, to try and help limit climate change um, was quite different in each of the different contexts, despite the statements being essentially the same. So 
Um, in, in three of the cases, um, the responses were reasonably the same. People said that they might act. But in the, in the positively framed case with greater uncertainty, there was a statistically di significant difference in the response that people said um, that they definitely would act when they were presented with that statement, which I think goes to show just how careful you need to be in terms of the way in which you present um, those scientific uh, um, uncertainty statements and the importance of the positive or negative frame. So the very final point that I wanted to make is um, that it's important to understand when you are communicating what's the purpose of the communication. Is it just to attract attention, um, maybe for your, your own research or your institute's research? Um, is it to inform or is it to change behaviour? And um, there was a study, this was actually done in the medical context, but I think it's probably just as relevant in the climate context as well, um, that actually graphical features that improve the accuracy of quantitative reasoning appear to be different to those that induce behavioural change and features that viewers like may not support either of these two goals. So depending on which one of these three things you're wanting to achieve, you might want to present information in very different ways. Um, I'll skip over this, I think. Um, it's two, another two clips from the focus groups. Um, where people were saying that in order to improve communications, um, there were sort of four key aspects that they would very much recommend. Um, not using jargon, using simple descriptions of the mechanisms involved um, in terms of the physics or the biology that helps them to be able to try and understand some of the key aspects, um, make it as relevant as possible and inject some passion. Um, they felt that um, they were much more trusting of the communicators um, if they were more passionate um, in, their, um, in the way that they communicated. The most popular article by a long way in our focus groups was one from the Mirror, um, which was um, focused on bees. Everyone liked bees. There was something they could relate to. Um, but in general, the tabloid articles were frequently praised in our focus groups for their clarity above and beyond the broadsheets. And often we had people in, who would say, well, normally I'm a Guardian reader and I don't really read the science pages, but these tabloid articles are really interesting and I would read them. So there's a summary, I'll leave it there. Um, Perceived risk of climate change is decreasing and the sense it's saturated is increasing. Communication risk and uncertainty is not easy. I think those clips from the focus groups demonstrated how challenging it is. Um, the language and framing can influence how something is interpreted. And so if you want to really try and improve those communications, um, the first thing is know what you're hoping to achieve, develop a strategy and critically go out and test it. And I think we really learnt from a lot from doing the focus groups in terms of how people really um, understood some of that information. Thank you.